Wonderful. Well, today we are in Hebrews 4 and we are in our Out of the Wilderness series, which is helping us to lay hold of everything that God has for us as we exit wilderness and into a better life with Jesus. This preaching series has been made with our current circumstance in mind, taking the example of the Israelites and their 40-year wilderness before entering the Promised Land. We're looking at our own wilderness through this coronavirus season with all of its worries and its difficulties and turn to the Bible to teach and instruct us on how to come out of this season from a place of strength and faith. And today, we're looking at the subject of rest. The title of today's message is Resting in God. This passage is actually the sister passage to the one that Richard preached last week, where he warned us about the dangers of unbelief and urged us to make sure that our faith was rooted deep in Jesus. He said that our exit from the wilderness should come from a place of rest in Jesus. And this week, we're going to put some meat on the bones of what that means, what proper rest looks like, and how, as a discipline, it can transform our Christian walk. I'll also say from the outset that I'll be using the words rest and Sabbath fairly interchangeably today, and it's helpful to understand why. See, you may think of the word Sabbath, and it may have connotations of legalism for you, a series of do's and don'ts. But the Bible's got an awful lot to say about rest and specifically Sabbath and a lot that we can learn as Christians. And I want to submit to you the idea of Sabbath or rest as a discipline and a lifestyle, less an allotted set of time to down tools and more a continual attitude of resting in God from which we can draw strength and joy and faith. One commentator puts it this way, the rest which is reserved for the people of God is properly called a Sabbath rest because it's their participation in God's own rest. It's also helpful to understand what I'm not talking about today. Resting in God is very different from what we've perhaps come to class as rest. When most of us say rest, what we actually mean is blob or veg, collapsing onto the sofa, switching our minds off in front of the TV or a good book bar of chocolate not too far away. I uh, just want to encourage you from the outset that I'm not a stranger to the Netflix binge on the sofa myself, but actually the rest that I'm talking about is much more purposeful. I'm also not today going to give you 10 steps to success. Instead, I hope to point you to what the Bible means by rest and how it connects to our faith. In my preparation for this, there have been two books that have been extremely helpful, both books that were actually mentioned in the Gateway Church podcast when they were doing good book reviews for us to read over the summer, and they are here. So if you're looking for more on the subject of rest, I recommend getting hold of The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan or uh, John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Both put a lot more meat on the bones as well, so do pick those up, and I'll be quoting from them a little bit as we go today as well. So, as I said, we're in Hebrews 4, and I'm just going to read it for us first, verses 1 down to 13. So if you've got a Bible here or at home, you can read along. Hebrews 4, starting in verse 1, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest. Yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world, for somewhere he's spoken about the seventh day in these words, and on the seventh day God rested from all his work. 
And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as it was said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Great, so the first thing I want you to note is that this isn't a new idea. And actually, it isn't even a New Testament idea. The theology of rest is sown throughout the Bible, from Genesis at the beginning to Revelation at the end. And therefore, it's also sown into mankind's history and future, beginning to end. And the writer of the passage in Hebrews wants us to see this too. The first part of these verses are meant to connect us to the big story. And I'm going to pull a few quotes out for you just to help you see. Firstly, think about Genesis, that creation story. In verse 4, we're drawn to it. And the writer paraphrases Genesis 2.2 and reminds us that God rested. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. The idea of rest is sown right into the creation story. God rested. And let's be clear, this isn't a worn-out Netflix binge sort of rest. He wasn't begging for people to leave him alone just so he could have a break before getting back to it. This is a life-giving reflective, faith-building rest that God calls us to enter into as well. Do we honestly believe that God wore himself out through creation? No, not at all. But a point of rest, the point of rest is that it allowed him to delight in it, to mark creation's perfection. And so to us, rest should be joyful, delight and a rest from our usual business as we stop and reflect. Already we're getting clues, hopefully you can see, as to what rest means for us. Next, I want to point you to the Ten Commandments. You see, we know that God takes rest seriously, not just for himself, but for us as well. So seriously that one of the Ten Commandments is dedicated to it. In Exodus 20, Moses received these ten rules from God, a guide for the Israelites to follow. And the longest one is about rest. Exodus 20 verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. They're reminded that God rested and blessed the Sabbath day so that others should follow suit. Don't work, rest. Look at the first word, remember, don't forget. The rationale for resting is given that God rested, and so should we. From creation, the idea of rest has been a promise to God's people, and now it's a command as well. Rest like I did. Later on in Deuteronomy, the Israelites even get a reminder. We fast forward 40 years, and the Israelites are on the cusp of the promised land. And Moses reminds the people in Deuteronomy 5, verse 12, saying to them, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Then Moses goes on to give a different rationale for why the people should keep the Sabbath rest. Why should we Sabbath? Well, because God did. We've been told that. But why else? 
Deuteronomy 5 verse 15 says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So in this context, why do we rest? Because we're not slaves anymore. Slaves work. You, Israelites, us, we are free. And free people enjoy the rest of God. For the Israelites, they were told to rest as a reminder that they were free people, free from pyramid building, endless toil and oppression, and free to enjoy. So the Israelites were commanded by God to Sabbath, to rest properly. But both spiritually and physically, through a 40-year wandering through the desert, they failed to enter into it. One commentator puts it this way, it was not because the rest of God was not yet available that the wilderness generation of Israelites failed to enter into it. It had been available since creation's work was ended. It was disobedience that kept the generation of the Exodus out of God's promised rest in spite of the good news which was announced to them. So then to today's passage in Hebrews 4, which connects our story to theirs by using their story as a warning to us. And it's actually specifically referenced five times. And I'll just read them through for you. Verse 1, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, be careful that none of you have fallen short of it. Verse 2 then, for we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. Who's the they there? That's the Israelites. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with their faith. Verse 3, now we who have believed enter that rest just as God said. So I declared on oath in my anger they shall never rest. Verse 5, and again, the passage says they shall never rest. Verse 7, therefore God set a certain day calling it today. When a long time later he spoke through David and said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The writer here is drawing a parallel between the Israelites' wilderness story and us. They heard, but they didn't act. And we're told that the promise still stands, but we're not to fall short of it. Verses 3 and 5 and 7 all quote Psalm 95, which Rich drew on last week for us. This psalm is actually a call to obedience. And verses 10 and 11 of Psalm 95 say, For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, They are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declare on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Look at how the writer reflects on the Israelites. God gave them the opportunity, even the commandment, to rest. It was right at the heart of his plan for his people. Work well and then rest. You no longer need to live under the rules of slavery, under Pharaoh's oppression. Work for six, and on the seventh, stop, rest, feast, enjoy, breathe, worship. So this warning in Hebrews, the reminder to be obedient in Psalm 95, it's all meant for us as well. I want you to stop and think about life in 2020 at the moment. We've obviously got... The, the obvious virus fears that we're speaking into in our Out of the Wilderness series. But actually, quite apart from that, we're already a fairly distracted people. Stores are open seven days a week. The ping of smartphones constantly in our pockets or in our bags. Video calls and lives live largely through streams, screens. The reality is and that most of us feel 
overworked or tired or overwhelmed. We fall into the trap of thinking that we can work as hard as we want as long as we take some time at the weekend to chill out a little bit. But actually, I want to submit to you that we might have missed the point. And actually, the point of resting in God, as we read it here, isn't to engage with our sofas, it's to engage with God. Sabbath, then, is about the heart. Now, my guess is that as I've been speaking to you, you've become only too aware of what the problem is. Maybe you feel dry and you can relate to that constant grind, the endless to-do list or the slavery of screens or sin. And you may have also guessed that the answer can't be found in the Netflix binge or by Mary condoing your closet. Our passage today, thankfully, also has the answer. Let me read it for you quickly. Verses 9 through 11. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Rest is available. We don't need to perish in the wilderness or exit our own coronavirus wilderness more tired and overwhelmed than we entered it. There's a better life available than the constant grind. And I want to submit to you three points. Any good preacher gives you three points. So I've got three for the note takers on, that hopefully will help us to center ourselves on what matters most and to set us up for a lifetime of serving and working from a place of rest rather than relentlessness. Point number one is to remember freedom. As I said earlier, I believe we've got a lot to learn from the Israelites in the way that they were taught to approach rest. They were told to do so as a reminder of their freedom from slavery. They weren't in Egypt anymore, and neither are we. The problem comes with the distractions that get in the way of our freedom. That means that so often we don't actually feel that free. We hear free, but don't feel free. And we're in danger of repeating the Israelites' mistakes. So what's not making you feel very free at the moment? There are many ways that we can feel a little bit stuck, whether physically, as the long tail of post-lockdown restrictions continue in the UK, we physically actually aren't as free as we used to be. Those of us who are in the room today are having to sit slightly apart from one another. We're not as free to move around, even in this room. We can't enjoy the things that we want to do, the coronavirus a uh, season has brought restriction that's hampered our physical freedom. But actually, it might be something else that's robbing you from enjoyment in God. Perhaps it's what the Bible would call sin. As Christians, we know that our freedom has been purchased by Jesus on the cross. We're not slaves to anything anymore because of Jesus. And as the Israelites were told to re- stop and remember their freedom... Sabbath rest is a chance for us to stop now in 2020 and remember the freedom bought for us through Jesus. It means that nothing should have a stranglehold on your life. And if it is, then Sabbath, stopping, resting, is a chance to root that thing out of your life and replace it with the truth of who you are in Jesus. And I could spend a lot of time listing all the things that can rob us of freedom, things like addiction, and technology, and sexual sin, and too much work, and too little money, and fear. And we've preached entire messages on this subject, these subjects like these in the past. 
and can point you to some helpful resources if you're struggling with something specific. But as Christians, these resources are all going to point us to the same thing. That is for us to stand in the truth of the freedom you've got today. To rest in it, to understand it, and to live in it. Cut the sin and distraction out of your life and rest in the truth of who you are. In his book, John Mark Comer puts it this way. The Sabbath is like a guerrilla warfare tactic. If you want to break free from the oppressive yoke of Egypt's taskmaster and its restless, relentless lust for more, just take a day each week and stick it to the man. Don't buy, don't sell, don't shop, don't surf the web, don't read a magazine. Just put it all away and enjoy. Drink deeply from the well of ordinary life. A meal with friends, time with family, a walk in the forest, afternoon tea. Above all, slow down long enough to enjoy life with God who offers everything that materialism promises but can never deliver on, namely, contentment. Note takers, that leads me to my second point, and that is lifestyle. Finding rest in God should be life-giving. When we Sabbath or rest, we should do two things, rest and worship. And it's about finding rhythms and practices and habits that bring you closer to him and closer to what matters most. When you rest in God, it means being present with God, And that's why we put so much focus at Gateway Church in building helpful disciplines. Bible reading through our community Bible reading and prayer and quiet times and worship playlists. They're not designed to add to your to-do list and add a burden to your already busy lives, but to help give you time and space to be purposeful in connecting with God, being present in your relationship with God and finding life. It's connecting to who we are through Jesus, who saved us and made a way for us to be in relationship with God now and forever. That means we can live in a present relationship with God, with all the benefits that come from being a child of his. We can talk to him and hear from him and get wisdom and comfort and joy from him, but only if we can declutter our lives for long enough to make time to do it. And that's why rest is a lifestyle. It's not a one-time thing, it's an all-the-time thing. Rest, by the way, doesn't always also mean silence and solemnity, though it can, but it can mean party and celebration. It means connecting with other Christians to worship, connecting with your family to enjoy the fruits of family life together. It means cooking meals, eating at tables, enjoying company, and entering into praise. It's amazing how many times Sabbath is set in the context of feasting in the Bible. Worship, celebration, and rest all go hand in hand. Like I said earlier, you can think of that word Sabbath and it might perhaps have some negative connotations of rules and legalism. But what we're talking about here, truly resting in God, is the exact opposite of that. It is freedom. So if you love nature, engage with God through nature and find your rest in him. If you enjoy music, sing and play. If you enjoy sport, head for a run and pray and praise as you go. If you like working with your hands, then paint or do woodwork. Family time can be a time for building faith and cooking and feasting can be an enjoyment of the fruits that God has given you. Do what you enjoy for the glory of God and praise him while you do it. The to-do list will never be empty. I know mine's not. And you'll find endless house chores and washing and cleaning and organizing and paperwork and emails, all of which will seek to fill your time. One thing that can particularly fill my time is football manager. I could do with putting that away a little bit more and learning to rest properly. I'll never quite have that perfect season. The whole point of resting in God is to stop those things that draw your attention away, even if they're important or necessary, 
to create room to really rest and connect with God in a way that will bring you more life. I've also found in my time as a leader in this church here and speaking with people that those who tell me that they're feeling spiritually dry and far from God are also those that are not actively entering into relationship with God often enough. If I want to know my wife better, if I want to feel connected to her, I need time with her. And resting in God is resting in relationship with God. If you're feeling far from God or spiritually dry, then this is the answer. My third point then, we've got freedom, we've got lifestyle. And the final one, perhaps counterintuitively, is work. Verse 11 says, let us therefore make every effort to enter his rest. Now, when I was at school, I loved English. Languages was about the only thing that I was really good at. And I used to love uh, looking for literary devices in the books that we were reading. And the, the verse that we read here could be seen as something as an, of an oxymoron, total opposites. How can you rest and work? Surely those two don't go together at all. But resting in God isn't something that will happen by accident. You won't stumble across resting in God by just turning off the TV. It takes work and effort. It means setting the alarm earlier to get a quiet time in before the kids wake up. It means resisting the temptation of one more episode or a browse through Facebook. And it means sitting and engaging with your Bible, even though you're busy and find some of the Old Testament bits a little bit hard. Adam and Eve in the paradise of the Garden of Eden were put to work. Even Jesus was accused of working on the Sabbath when, as we're told in John 5, he was in Jerusalem for a feast and healed a paralyzed man. We're told the Jews persecuted him because he was doing things on the Sabbath. And Jesus' response He said, my father is always working to this very day, and I am working too. It's a fallacy to say that Sabbathing, resting well, is an absence of work. In fact, unless you're working at it just a little bit, you might not be doing it right. We should be under no illusion that finding rest in God is not easy. Those endless distractions won't go away. The chores and the to-do list won't magically empty. But what you'll find by working at finding proper rest in God and restoring your soul through a relationship with him is so much more worthwhile than anything else you have to do. I hope I've shown you through these three suggestions that Sabbath for us, as we continue to navigate the complexities of living through a pandemic, are vital. They're not just a day or an addition to the to-do list, but a lifestyle, an attitude, and the realisation of a promise from our Father to enter into all that he has for us. In that sense, rest isn't something we have to do, it's something we get to do. As I've been preparing to speak today, I've been struck by how there's no end of self-help material that's centered around these principles, but missing the most important bit. Mary Kondo didn't discover the root of happiness, I'm afraid, and what sparks joy And it can't be found solely in meditation or by getting into nature. These things are helpful and they can be good, but they're an absence. When you clear your mind, unclutter your house or withdraw from the modern world, what's left is empty unless it's filled with God. Empty closets won't lead to a full soul. Nature is good, but when combined with God, a thankful heart for his creation and the beauty of it, we're not connecting to the trees and the rivers, we're connecting to the one who made them. And that's the difference between rest and resting in God. 
We're not trying to get you to switch off from everything, to unplug from the matrix in some vague spiritualist sense. We're to do it so that we can connect to what is most important, and that is the life that can be found in God. The final verses of our passage in Hebrews today tell us that too. From verse 12, it said, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him in whom we must give an account. God wants to meet with us and rest in his word, which brings life. It brings clarity and it connects you with a God who knows you intimately. Nothing is hidden from him. He knows you completely, the good and the bad, and he still loves you and wants to gift you with rest in him. The best example of, we have of someone who rests is found in Jesus, the one who as Christians we model our lives around, and it's through Jesus that we find rest in God. Jesus delivered us from the slavery of sin and brings us into God's presence through his promised Holy Spirit. He gives us a reason to celebrate. He gives us work to do and a hope of an eternal rest. I don't know if you've ever noticed about the stories that you've read about Jesus, but he rested. Now you'd have thought the Son of God, God made man, would have no need for rest. Yet we're often told that Jesus withdraws to spend time with God, that Jesus sleeps and eats with friends and relaxes at tables over long meals. It wasn't all work and no play. It was actually quite the opposite. In Mark 2, verse 27, Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for the man, not the man for the Sabbath. Speaking about that passage, Mark Buchanan in the book, The Rest of God, said, and that actually is all we need to know to keep the Sabbath holy. This day was made for us. God gave it to you and me for our sake, for our benefit, for our strengthening and replenishment. It was something God prepared long ago, inscribed in the very order of creation, a day when all other days loosed their grip. It's a day that God intended to fuss over us, not we over it. It's a father's gift to indulge his children. Our rest will be complete on the day we permanently enter God's presence. And if you're listening to this today and you're not a Christian, this isn't just an invitation for you to find rest in God. It's an invitation for you to find God through Jesus, to enter into a relationship, a rest with him now that will last for an eternity. And if you are a Christian, remember you're not in Egypt anymore. In what ways do you need to remember your freedom? What in your life needs to be removed? Where are you still enslaved? And what are you going to do to enter into God's rest? Not as a scheduled diary commitment, but as a heart attitude that brings you life through Jesus. Now, I want us all to take a moment, wherever you are, here in the room, or at home on the sofa, to stop and to take a breath and to focus on God, on his promise of salvation and the rest that can be found in him through Jesus. And let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you that in you we find our rest. I thank you that 
this relationship with you isn't about striving to be known by you. The passage says you know us intimately and you love us and you have gifted us with rest in you. That means that living this life is not done from a place of toil and striving, but done from a place of rest in you because it's you who gives us strength and courage and peace. Lord, help us to live in that more and more each day. Help us to find time to put away distractions and focus on the thing that really matters, you. In Jesus' name.